Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thank you for joining us today as we talk about taking the work out of networking. You know that idea of, hey, I got to go meet a bunch of random people, say a bunch of awkward things. Well, how do you actually do that properly? That's the main topic we're talking about today. Additionally, though, the first half of the episode is really about kind of social media, connecting in social media, branding through social media with a specific tilt towards Twitter. And the reason is our guest this week really was the voice of Twitter for nearly five years. Our guest is Karen Wickery. Karen is a veteran of Silicon Valley. Some of her most well-known positions were as the senior media liaison at Google, where she built the Google blog platform for publishing news and views across products, countries, audiences, and the flagship official Google blog. She also launched Google's official Twitter presence, which gained 3.4 million followers while she was there. Think about that. Then she went on to Twitter, where she served as the editorial director, aka the voice of Twitter. Her team developed best practices and managed 20 global blogs and 200 Twitter accounts for Twitter. Again, I, I feel like it's kind of inception, like twittering about Twitter while working at Twitter. Anyways, 
So over her more than three decades in communications and editorial, she also met a ton of people. She is considered one of the most connected people in Silicon Valley, which leads us to her brand new book, Taking the Work Out of Networking, An Introvert's Guide to Making Connections That Count. So I hope in this episode you will enjoy the winding journey we take talking about how to build your brand on Twitter, tips for tweeting, and how to network in a way that creates meaningful, lasting connections. Remember, we are at Smart People Pod on Twitter. While you're there, while we're talking about it, go shoot us a hello. Tell everyone if you enjoy it. Now I'm going to turn it over to our guest, Karen Wickery, as we talk about communications, branding, social media, and networking. Enjoy. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Chris. It's it's I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, you know, as I was just saying, I, I was really taken by this new book you wrote, Taking the Work Out of Networking, and you touch on being an introvert and, and all those things. So things I, I absolutely want to talk about. But in looking back through your history, through your experiences, you've done a lot. You have a really fascinating background, and, and including some stints at some really great large companies such as Google, which I want to touch on. If you could kind of just bring us up to date on uh, maybe some of your greatest experiences in the past and then what you're doing today, that will set the guideline for where we're going. I have lived and worked in the Bay Area uh, and specifically for technology companies for almost 35 years. And I've been able to do that uh, because my sort of core skills are writing and editing. And it turns out as, as some of us know, all kinds of companies need help with the writing and editing in various formats. So I fell into this world quite accidentally. I'm a liberal arts major, and my kind of opening shot was that I was running a, a nonprofit here for journalists, and one of my board members happened to be the guy who started a couple of the, what became the big, the biggest computer magazines, personal computer magazines. PC World and PC Magazine. And at this point in the early, mid-80s, I guess, I really knew nothing about personal computers, nothing much about the business world, and nothing uh, about publishing. But it just was one of those cases where, like, everything fit. So I already was a pretty good writer and editor, and that helped me on the job. And once I was in that world... I changed jobs uh, a fair amount, and I did freelance stints, and I was a journalist for a while. I had I had a bunch of jobs, but I was in the ecosystem, and that is kind of the basis of what I've done in all the years since. I fell into a contract job at Google in the early years uh, because I had a friend there uh, with whom I'd worked at two other companies, and uh, so I knew about Google early on. And um, I just kind of hung on once I got in there in 2002, and I said, I want to work here, and I tried to make myself indispensable, and eventually I got hired. That led to an, a wonderful long stint of, of Google. Essentially, when I started contracting, there were about 500 people on the payroll, and when I left, uh, nine years later, there were 50,000. Wow. So I, I watched Google grow up. And I went from there to Twitter, uh, which had always interested me as another kind of publishing platform. 
I had editorial roles in both of those companies where I was managing or developing, in some cases, the the company's own uh, blogs and social accounts on behalf of the company. I I have to ask you real quick why you mentioned that. Is it fair to say that you were the Twitter voice of Twitter? I'm just curious if that's the case, because if so, we are all in the presence of greatness here. Well, I have to tell you, remember, there was a founding team at Twitter, including Biz Stone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Biz, I knew earlier, but he was already gone from Twitter by the time I got there. I'd have to say he was the original voice of Twitter, right? Because he, uh, a a bunch of the the folks uh, obviously tweeted but he he was the voice of, say, the Twitter blog when they were updating things and, you know, just developing the product. So I wasn't making it up out of whole cloth. It was more to figure out in a post-biz era how Twitter should present itself. And, it, and you know what? It's continued to change because it's really hard when you have the platform to use the platform uh, for the company's purposes. It's really hard. You, you can't have kind of clever jokes and kind of insider stuff that won't be, uh, easily misunderstood if you do it wrong. So it's, it's harder than you would think. You can't just have fun in the eyes of the in crowd, right? Because it's a global company and there's a lot of room for error there. Well, that was actually a question that just struck me as you were talking about it. You know, as you started moving through your career and then you came to Google and it got enormous and then you went to Twitter, which was already pretty big. I think when you got there, Mm -hmm. did you find it almost stifling to do editorial for companies where I'm assuming there's so much red tape and so many guidelines and checks and balances? Did you find it to really stifle the creative process or the joy in it? I I have to say no. And at, at Google now, remember this was, let's say 2005, six, seven in there where lots of companies were not doing this, but Google already had a reputation for doing things differently. As the famous line goes, we're, we're not a conventional company and we don't intend to become one. It was always non-fussy before I had gotten there. There already was a sort of a company style guide and it was very much the, the leaders of the company and the founders were very much for plain language and no obfuscation and no, you know, no sort of top-down style. For the blog itself, I mean, I understood how things worked inside, so I, I basically developed a workflow that was as light as possible and didn't get bogged down in, say, legal. I think most, I don't want to just say technology companies, because now so many are, in fact, technology companies, but I would let's say modern companies they understand this ecosystem now and there's content marketing for all kinds of things uh, everywhere. So it's, I'm, I'm guessing that the ones that have to be a little more cautious are regulated industries. Right. Uh, but generally there's some kind of process that doesn't get too bogged down because otherwise there's no point in, in a, in a world where news and information comes at us all the time. You can't, you can't have things that, that uh, take a, a month of, 15 people reviewing and re-reviewing. Right. I always found that funny as I've gone through my career, worked at different companies, worked in capacities in marketing and things like that. How much time and energy goes into things like a press release and then how little time often goes into things like a tweet or a Facebook post. I'm curious on your 
opinion on both of those mediums, but also do you think there has been a, a changing of the guard in what matters in terms of corporate communication from the kind of formal, we put out announcements to the, let's have a conversation with our user base, whoever they may be. Yeah, I, I, there definitely has been a changing of the guard. And I think it's it's just taken some time for people to get used to the idea that things are more current. And we expect, by the way, pretty rapid response when something goes wrong, right? And, and I think companies know this, especially if they're in some kind of directive to consumer type business, or they have some other kind of crisis. They understand that they have to get something out quickly. They have to be able to respond quickly. They have to be able to be in the moment. And not just for crises. Um, I remember this uh, wonderful instance at Twitter a couple of years ago when during the Super Bowl, there was some kind of power blackout for a few minutes. Oh, I remember that. At the advertiser was Oreo, Oreo cookies. And they quickly whipped up uh, a, basically a Twitter ad commenting on the fact that you could eat milk and cookies in the dark. Mm-hmm. And that caught just a huge amount of goodwill attention because they were so kind of in the moment and it was kind of fun and it was kind of clever and it just took advantage of this un- unexpected, unplanned thing that had happened. So I think companies, certainly marketers understand this, but I think corporate communications people do too, because we we see how things can go badly when there's too much of a delay for a response when something bad happens. Um, remember the poor United passenger who was dragged off the plane and I was watching Twitter and I mean, there were just a thousand tweets saying, has, has United said anything? Has United, where, where's United? Right. And, uh, they weren't anywhere for a little while. And that, that was, uh, you know, kind of a reputational hit. Yeah. Well, the airlines in general, I mean, their reputations, <laughs> you know, I think they're, they're long from saving. I wanted to, you know, there's, there's something really unique about what we're discussing and your background in that you've dealt with this not just editorial, but this branding and communications in so many different roles. I'm thinking a really useful exercise for our listeners, myself, a really engaging thing to do would be, could you walk us through how you might take somebody, uh, coach them to come up with their own branding, to come up with how they want to present themselves? And and it strikes me, I think that is, from what I've learned about you and read, one of your kind of superpowers, helping people, brands, companies present themselves. How would you take, say, somebody listening today who owns a small business, is a consultant, is a coach, we have a lot of them, thought leader, to craft a brand that resonates with them and helps them progress in their business? The first thing I would say is it does not have to mean you only will write and post any any content on any channel only about your specialty, right? Only about your business. Um, because these days there's been such a blending of personal and professional. We, we expect a little more personality and, and, um, distinctiveness about the, the entities, let's say that we, that we follow and pay attention to. And that includes consultants and entrepreneurs and small businesses. If we had the time, we could all think of ones that we particularly like 
that are local to us, for example, that, that do that do interesting and clever things. So the same, I think, would apply to someone just starting out. And that is to say, don't be so strict about I, I can only this is only for the work stuff, right? This is only for a thought leadership. So I think um, not to be too strict about it. And then to be pretty frequent with a variety of things. Don't don't feel like, oh, I have to write a series of blog posts and post, post each one of them and, and tweet it twice. Maybe. But in between that, you're going to see interesting articles and comments and examples from your world that other people are doing. That's all fair game for you to talk about, comment on, share with others, say why you like it, what's wrong with it, what, you know, critique it, whatever. Uh, so those would be like two additional points. And then yeah. the third, don't get obsessed about the numbers and oh, the, the followers, right? It's choosing who you follow on, say, LinkedIn and, and Twitter where there's uh, – it, it's um, asymmetrical that's fine. And you can, you know, kind of engage with people. It just, it's a cumulative process. So it's not, it's not one of these things where you, you can only be heard when you have X number of uh, followers. Cause it's just, it's, it's not true. Uh, uh, especially as you have your expertise. And now a quick word from our sponsor. What would it look like if we all listened more? Listening to audiobooks motivates us, inspires us, and even brings us closer together. There's no better place to listen than Audible because now Audible members get even more. Exclusive audio fitness programs, audiobooks, Audible originals, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now, with Audible originals, the selection has gotten even more custom. Every month, Audible members get one credit good for any audiobook they choose, plus two Audible originals from a changing selection that they can't get anywhere else. They also get access to audio fitness and health workouts created exclusively for Audible. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. Don't like your audiobooks? Exchange it. No questions asked. You'll find plenty of past guests on Audible. For example, take Dave Burse. You can find iconic advantage, don't chase the new, innovate the old. All right, so check it out. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com smart or text smart to 500-500. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash smart or text smart to 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks. And now back to the episode. Sure. Do you do this as a consultant again, strategizing, branding? Are you doing that now? Uh, I, I am consulting, yeah. Um, uh, in, in, I mean, most of this year has been taken up by writing the book and now working on um, getting the word out about sure. the book. But I do, I do some consulting, still some editorial consulting with companies mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and some uh, strategy work with a firm here in town. And when they come to you, these companies, are they, what are they looking for? Are they looking for typically to shift the way they're perceived? Are they looking to gain eyeballs? Uh, what, what is kind of their goal when they come to somebody with a specialty in communications and specifically editorial work? The goals may vary, but I would say in general, the understanding is 
however else we conduct business, we need a, a kind of a digital space that tells our story, talks about our customers or our team. It's part recruiting tool. It's part kind of a record of what we're doing. So it's like a repository for reporters to go through when they when they're curious about them. It, it's partly for the employees who are there to say this is a sort of bona fide thing we got going and, and you're part of it. Now, on top of that, you know, uh, somebody might do great with podcasts. Somebody else might produce a lot of video. Uh, someone else might have a, a really great blog or, or whatever or Twitter account. That's all good. But it's it's all hung off the fact that you have some, you know, kind of discoverable place that has a lot of information about the business and the people and the mm. customers, mm. right? Yeah. That That's the basis. So with that basis, then companies will say, we want to figure out how to be better thought leaders or get our you know opinions out there about stuff because we don't have that much news. That's fine. Uh, and then I try and help them think about the, all the things they can write about as opposed to, again, not just sort of the white paper on AI. It doesn't all have to be kind of your big essays where you're kind of broadcasting to the world. It can be that someone is going to speak somewhere and here's their slides or here's their impression of the conference or here's a, a customer visit and how that went or here's a customer story from the customer. Uh, you, you know, any any number of things. Here's an article that we liked and here's why. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's really valuable. And I know I'm, I'm kind of honing in on this, but it's because I have somebody who you know, was an editorial director at Twitter for almost five years. And then I read your team managed a couple hundred Twitter accounts during that time. What are some other things that you saw done really well in your time at Twitter that you felt the best brands, the best individuals were doing to positively impact their business or their brand? Well, I mean, part of it is this, this, this idea of uh, you know, having having some personality, uh, we're, we're used to celebrities doing all kinds of funny or interesting or odd things. But, you know, businesses can too. And sometimes it's as simple as, to use a recent example, you know, I took notice of companies and brands that express something about the shootings at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, the killings, right? And they were simply saying, I thought I viewed it as a sort of community response in a way. And they were just saying, we're, we're thinking of those families today and we're with them. And, you know, that was it. I mean, you don't want to say too much in these, in these kind of instances, that's a tough case, but I'm, I paid attention to who was doing that. That to me is very legit as an expression. And I, and I would encourage companies to think about what suits them and what's comfortable for them in, in these areas. And sometimes it's a national thing and sometimes it's, you know, a, a regional sports thing. And sometimes it's a, a good local cause that, that they happen to know about. There, there are lots of ways to uh, both engage and also just and times to stay quiet, too. It's really OK to do that or, or just post a picture. Oh, you know, man. nobody nobody believes in staying quiet anymore. <laughs> Come on. Speaking of staying quiet. I, I do want to, you know, kind of make the switch into talking about your book and talking about networking. It is all interconnected, right? I mean, your work in branding and editorial really was all about connecting with people through a platform. 
And and yeah. now this book seems to be about connecting with people in various platforms. But I think to kind of provide additional background, and as I mentioned, I wanted to cover this because of the reason this podcast was initially started. I, I love seeing your progression through your career because, as you mentioned, it follows a similar theme, but it had various stops along the way. And, and of course, culminated perhaps in almost a decade at a company like Google and five years at Twitter and now having your own book, right? By many people's accounts, mm -hmm. having made it. What advice would you give to people who say, I, I have a general idea, but I'm, I'm worried, I don't know where I'm going, or I'm concerned I'll never, quote unquote, make it? I don't even know how I would define making it, to be honest. I just knew uh, I'm, I'm from a working class enough background that I just knew I always had to have a job and I always had to work. So I think for me, I, I probably underestimated how valuable it would be to be able to write easily and edit quickly. Those two skills have sort of carried me through many years in many settings, in many jobs, no matter what the title is. So that that was kind of one thing I had. I could I could typically take other people's language or their rough drafts or their efforts and make them better. And I didn't know, I didn't set out to have that, but it, it's something that came easily to me. That, that, if anything, became kind of a guiding light. Plus, I'm accumulating contacts, people I know along the way, because as I said, the, the job market has been so fluid um, in this area that it's expected you're going to change jobs and it's expected that you're going to be in touch with people along the way and look them up again, or they're going to look you up. And that, and that, that's been the other constant really over, over the years. And that's, that's one of the reasons that led me to the book. Yeah. Well, let's get into that. And it reminds me of this idea of the strength of loose connections. Yeah. Have you, have you ever heard of that? In my book, I talk about two things related to that. One is what I call keeping in loose touch with people, which is not constant. It doesn't require being booked up every day with coffee dates. It doesn't require email homework. It means very occasional um, reaching out to people in all the easy ways we now have. You can send a, a Twitter direct message, uh, but just being able to have a sort of moment of being top of mind with somebody. The other thing that um, I write about in the book is not new to me at all. It's it's the notion of people who are your weak ties. Your weak ties are people you know less well, you're not typically in touch with, and they are often the ones who can help if you think broadly enough when you're maybe thinking about a new job, you're curious about a company. People that you know kind of on the, on the edges, the periphery, may be the ones who know uh, about the thing you're looking to find out. And so it's it's good to be very sort of open and broad about who you're thinking of as your contacts. Well, and I think that's great because I know you talk about it in the book specifically from an introvert's perspective. So my first question is the obvious one, which is for everyone listening, you know, are, would you consider yourself an introvert? And then second, how do you define that? Yes, I do. And that is because I define it I went back and read sort of the origins of this notion and the notion of personality types of this kind came from Carl Jung, who was, as you may know, a um, Swiss psychologist 
he, he, he put people on a spectrum. People were either, if they were introverted, they had to recharge and kind of regain their energy, regroup themselves by having quiet time and maybe being alone. Uh, and then they could go back out into the world. It has nothing to do with being shy. An extrovert at the other end gets their energy and their sort of renewal and charge from being in groups of people. And they could go from, you know, cocktails to dinner to after party, no problem. And of course, there are people in the middle. It's not, it's not that everybody's at one end or the other. And so for me, I've always been more on the introvert end in that I absolutely need quiet time if I get too overbooked. If I do too many podcasts any day, I need to recuperate <laughs> from that. Um, so, but it, but it doesn't mean I'm not sociable. Doesn't mean I'm not interested in people. And so, what what struck me um, over the years is a lot of my friends and would say to me, or people would introduce me as someone who knows everybody, and that, and I'd often be sent someone who you know, can you meet with my friend or somebody who's moving to the Bay Area or they want to get into a tech company or they want to change careers or, you know, any fill in the blank, any number of questions. I'd always say yes. And that's because I'm always interested in what people's stories are and what they were about. And if I can help, I help. I don't have all the answers, but, you know, it's usually interesting to sort of make that connection. So, I've made a lot of connections and I, I keep up with them in this informal and intermittent way that, that we talked about. Um, and it really has nothing to, uh, you know, it's not that I'm out of the house every day holding court. There's so much now that people can, how people can connect online through, you know, a number of channels that we now have to, you, you can have friends who are your Twitter friends who you've never met. And I'm sure this is true uh, on LinkedIn or Instagram. Uh, and there's also, um, I'm still a big believer in email. Email is still the, you know, most kind of ubiquitous, interoperable way to, you know, meet someone new, be introduced to someone new, uh, explain what it is you're looking for in detail, ask specific questions. You can't really do that in sort of short form on some of these other platforms. So for these reasons, you, you don't have to be out and about holding court. Uh, you, you can keep in touch with so many people uh, from around the world, um, if, you know, who, are, who, who you can call on when you need to. And similarly, they can do the same with you. So that's sort of the notion of the book. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by BetDSI. Use your sports and pop culture knowledge to make some extra cash this week with BetDSI. BetDSI.com has been paying winners for 20 years. With a really user-friendly interface and mobile site and the fastest payouts in the industry, it's no wonder BetDSI is top-rated on betting review sites. Simply play, win, and get paid. BetDSI offers betting options for everything from the NFL, NCAA football, NBA, NHL, UFC, and all other major sports to politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. There's also live betting, which lets you bet on games through the entire matchup, every play, and every minute until the end. I play there myself and recommend BetDSI if you want to add some excitement to the sports you're watching. Just ask Chris. Hit him up on Twitter any weekend, and he'll give you all his picks. All right, try it for yourself. 
New members get a 100% bonus match using promo code SPP. That's more than double your money to start winning today. Just go to betdsi.com and use promo code SPP to get this limited time 100% bonus offer and make some extra cash on the sports you know and love. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI. And now back to the episode. That's what I was going to ask you is, you know, you, you talk about taking the work out of networking. Would you say that that work part of it is really just dependent on your view of what networking is? Because, you know, honestly, one of the things that sparked my interest about this book was I'm, I'm extremely extroverted. If you said, hey, you get two hours to go sit by yourself or two hours to go hang out with 20 people, I, I'd be like, why is that even a question? Let's go. You know what I mean? So so yeah. it's it's really I'm always trying to bring in other perspectives you know, what is the view of work in networking and what do you hear often or did you see often, especially as you were going through this book? It turns out it doesn't matter where you are on the introvert extrovert spectrum. Apparently everybody hates to network. (laughs) Everybody I've talked to says, "I, I just hate the idea of it. And when I probed a little further, it seems as if we all have some kind of picture in our mind of either a big networking event like at a hotel ballroom where we're supposed to like collect business cards and have three minutes per conversation, you know, kind of like speed dating or something. And no wonder people hate that because it seems, and I've asked people like, what do you associate with that? And they say, you know, it's phony. You're, you're looking past someone as you're making this meaningless small talk with them. It doesn't, it, it just seems so kind of inauthentic and awkward. And so That's why the subtitle includes uh, the phrase making connections that count. Because for me, networking is the act of or it's in service of making connections that count. It's not networking for its own sake. Again, it's not to count up the business cards or the followers. It's it's much more about, oh, you know, who do I know that um, knows something about that company or that school or who's looking – to, you know, who'd be interested in this job somebody just told me about that would be a good job for somebody. It's, it's, that's based on the connections where you know a little more about someone's interest and and they know about yours than it is about you've traded a card, you may never do anything again. Yes. Okay. See, and that makes a lot of sense. I, if you said, Hey, go to a, 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 you know, a hotel lobby. Yes. That sounds like my nightmare. (laughs) And I can imagine it sounds like most people's. So it's in the way you define networking. And as you talk about it, it's really about connecting. So tell us for those out there who, whatever stage in their life they are, uh, whatever they're looking to do, I know in your book, you offer many ways, but what are a few of your favorite ways to, first of all, own that fear of networking, but then go out to create these relationships that are authentic and to yeah. bring that to the table. Well, I always remind people that you you actually know more people than you think you know, first of all. If it's a matter of maybe you're in a newish job or you're in a team where you don't get to collaborate a lot with other people, you know, start at work with, you know, who seems interesting or nice to you from another team you'd like to get to know better. You know, see if you can have coffee or lunch or something with them one day just to sort of Maybe it's to understand how their team works so that your work is better. Maybe it's to because you both know that you share an interest in something. 
I mean, in other words, you know, start with sort of more familiar. Don't you don't have to start with strangers, and and beyond that, if if you are actually, you know, you want to think about your next job or uh, a company that interests you, look to who you know who's connected to it. Now, LinkedIn was obviously built for this, right? And you know, a good way to use that is is to look and see who you're connected to. Uh, who might know about company X um, and see if you can get an introduction. Introductions um, are much better than uh, a cold call or a cold email, I think, in any case. Not that it's impossible the other way, but um, it's just easier if there's someone there to say, to kind of vouch for you or for you as you would for them. That, that's a, that's a good way to go. So these are like non relatively non-threatening ways as opposed to the ball, the hated ballroom. What do you believe the greatest purpose of networking is, right? Because I think a lot of times people don't necessarily feel the need to increase their reach in a world where, and maybe this is just me speaking, but when in a world where we are also connected at the click of a finger, sometimes it's just like, I don't, I don't need that many people. And, and, and what I'm kind of thinking of is all the random requests and I'm by no means like a big deal, but I get on LinkedIn. I don't even know why people are reaching out to me. It's just a simple, I, I, will you connect? I have no idea who you are, no idea why, and almost find that more frustrating than anything. Well, so I would say this, the thing about you know lifelong connecting, let's, let's say that instead of networking, yeah. um, the reason it matters, you may be in a job you love, you may think you know all the people that you need to know, but I, I looked into some you know trends uh, for all of us, and the fact is um, we tend to look for a new job when we have a job. We tend to move around between jobs fairly often, depending on the level you're at, it can be you you know three years to seven years is is kind of it in, in, in one job or one, uh, one kind of area. We start, uh, younger, younger people like right out of college tend to work at more jobs in the first five years than used to be the case. Americans in particular also move physically 10 or 11 times during our adult years. Uh, there are also times when you, uh, have to, you know, face a new area or, or a move because of family matters and so on. So you're going to be, you know, drawn into, you need to make new contacts for some reason or another. And I would add, um, according to, you know, all kinds of reports, we're all going to work for more years. We're all going to work longer than we used to work. So, uh, and, and of course more people are independent workers, right? Freelancers, uh, gig, gig workers who are piecing together different things. So these all require more contacts than just, you know, I know everybody I need to know. That's fine if you're in one kind of, you know, position in one company for 30 years, but nobody does that. No one can right. do that. And and so I would argue, you know, and, and by the way, you might want to change careers and you might want to change fields entirely. So there are lots of reasons to kind of keep this kind of sense of curiosity and open-mindedness about, about meeting new people generally for the purposes of having a contact. They don't have to be your best friends. You don't have to see them all the time, but to be open to, uh, you know, falling into a kind of serendipitous state of 
you know, meeting and connecting. Sure. One thing I'm curious, and I know that people out there have to be thinking this, you know, asking things of others is a skill and it is also a mindset. And what I mean by that is I know a lot of people, myself included, really don't like even potentially putting someone else on the spot, putting them out, you know, Hey, I need a job. I know you would never say it like this, but I need a job. I need you to introduce me to two of your friends who then I'm going to bother them to go out on their 20th coffee (laughs) this week. You know, we all get this, this story going in our head that we are so annoying. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. What, what are your thoughts about that? What do you do? Yeah, it's easy to talk yourself out of, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to bother anyone. I can't, you know, this seems so awful. But two things about that. One is um, the more you're in the habit of this kind of making casual connections and informal uh, contacts initially, you too will be asked these questions. Every, everybody needs something, more information of some sort from somebody else at some time. And so it's not like everyone else has it all together and they have all the answers for everything in their lives. And I don't. That That's just not reality. <laughs> that's just not how it goes. Everybody needs something from other people at some point. Um, so it's, it's not only you. You might have a turn at it. But if you're in the habit of making your own introductions to people and helping out, passing on the word about a new job or something, you're kind of in this ecosystem of giving and getting. So when it's your turn, hopefully, uh, or, or, you know, you suddenly need a new job, it's not like a panic because you don't know where to turn. You have people in your network to ask and you, and you understand no one person is going to have exactly everything you need. Like you're not going to talk to a stranger who is, the hiring manager for that role. And they're not talking to anyone else, but you, I mean, that's not going to happen. So if you think of it as kind of a, it's a little bit of a, maybe a scavenger hunt or something where you're, you know, this one knows about the company, but is in a different field. This one used to work there and knows, you know, the history of the thing that's different, but a piece of, you know, what I need to find out. So you, 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 you're not kind of over imposing on any one person because you're kind of getting different things and it's absolutely bad to make a demand. Like I have to see you now, right? That's, that's never good. So you don't want to be sort of in a panicky last minute situation. Uh, you want to instead kind of be making inquiries along the way so that when the time comes, you can say, remember we talked about this now I'm really interested. And now I see this job, you know, what do you advise? Cause you've already made a contact. Sure. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that's all really great information, especially for those of us. You know, my mom is the exact opposite. She'll talk to anyone about anything, ask for anything. And honestly, I've seen it through my entire life. It's only helpful. Like, it's only helpful. You know, that whole thing, the worst they can say is no and all that. And honestly, what I found over the years, most people just genuinely do want to help if you're not asking too much of them. You know, and then and then if you really want to change your perspectives, think to yourself, what would I say if asked the same question? And usually we're much gentler on others than we are on ourselves. Exactly right. So with that, and before we let you go, I wanted to ask, you know, what is the favorite thing you cover in this book that we have not yet discussed? Oh boy, let's see. <laughs> the favorite. I think it would be something about this notion of 
the giving and getting, or some people might say paying it forward a little bit. So it, everybody, people like to help each other, as, as you just suggested, and want to be helpful when they can. So the notion that you do your part in this, uh, uh, you know, sort of being connected with people and thinking about it, it can be, it may or may not have reciprocity with the exact same person who, you know, came to you for a favor, but that's really not the point. It's, it's this broader kind of exchange of, of giving and getting. And I read a book, which I've cited in the book, um, by a guy named Lewis Hyde called The Gift. And he was writing actually to artists and how artists uh, should might think about their work and putting their work out into the world. And I, I just very much liked his attitude of this, of, of this thing of, let, you know, let me help where I can. And I, I am putting myself out in the world in this way to help you or extend your reach. Uh, and, um, you know, and I expect nothing. Uh, and if something comes back, that's wonderful. I feel like that spirit um, is what I'm kind of aiming at above and beyond the nuts and bolts of, you know, uh, email or, or social media. Sure. Well, Karen, you know, I really appreciate it. This idea of networking. And as we talked about branding and social media, we've covered a lot in the short time together. Um, again, the book is taking the work out of networking an introverts guide to making connections that count. And looks like at least on Amazon, it's uh, going live kind of out there on the end of November. Not sure when this November. episode's going to air. Yeah. November 27. Yep. yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, not sure when this is going to air, but you can go order it now. You can pre-order it. And, um, and I, I love the take uh, you have on it with introverts and truly connecting with others. Before we let you go, is there anything else, anywhere else you write or, you know, I'm sure actually people would love to know since you are the Twitter queen, um, what's your Twitter <laughs> handle and are you on there often these days? Uh, I, I am on there too much. Uh, <laughs> and yes, and my handle is Kvox. That's K V is in Victor O X. Uh, cause that's easier to spell than my name. <laughs> so I'm, I'm there a lot. Um, I have a website that is just my name, karenwickery.com. And I do, I write some on medium, although I am a little behind because I wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was funny. As you mentioned earlier, you said, I was never the kind to sit down and write for eight straight hours. I'm going, well, then you wrote a book. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. That, that's a, that's a whole story unto itself. I can imagine. <laughs> well, again, Karen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, I had a lot of fun. Thank you for this. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed what I believe to be the second to last. Let me check the schedule real quick. I believe it's our second to last episode of the year. That was Karen Wickery and her book, Taking the Work Out of Networking, An Introvert's Guide to Making Connections That Count, can be found at your local bookstore and on Amazon. And as always, if you purchase the book through Amazon, please use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com dot com slash amazon if you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show you can always head over to itunes or apple podcasts and leave a rating or review over there if you'd like to reach out to the show you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on twitter at smartpeoplepod all right that's it for us this week stay tuned because we've got some great episodes coming up we've got our end of year drinking episode where we take your questions so if you have questions for us, you can submit them at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash questions. 
and we'll answer them and read them on the air. That's it for us. Hope you have a fantastic holiday and we'll see you next episode.